ringside by golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sula, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, another outstanding card. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. I am your host, Ray Russell, and that's right, it's 100% territory talk here on the program each and every week. want to thank John McAdam once again for the trilogy series we just finished up on 1977 in the World Wide Wrestling Federation. And John, I want you to know I extend the invitation. You're welcome back anytime. John McAdam, once again, a professional and classy guy. And speaking of professional and classy guys, this week on the Regional Wrestling Podcast, we welcome the former owner of Ring of Honor, Mr. Kerry Silken, going to join the show in just a few minutes. Kerry's going to go back in time. He said he's going to put Ring of Honor aside and go back in time and share his memories from childhood all the way up to an adulthood of growing up in the New York Territory, becoming a wrestling fan. He's going to talk about some of the first shows he ever attended going back to the late 60s into the early 70s including his first venture to Madison Square Garden. It's going to be a fun ride this week. We're going to be all over the place, no doubt about it. Hopefully just the first of many episodes with Kerry going on down the road. We've already talked about him coming back for future episodes. It's something I like to call the Silken Series here on Regional Wrestling. Kerry going to pop in hopefully from time to time as time permits and continue on his long and winding road. But it all starts in 1966, and Kerry's going to take us back to that time in just a few minutes. And just a reminder, you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast and our sister shows, like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, where we analyze and dissect complete years of professional wrestling history. In the past, we've done NWA in 1989, the WWF in 93, and currently we're in the spring of 1987 in the WWF. We've just talked the fallout from WrestleMania 3, all sorts of new stars coming in from DiBiase, Bam Bam Bigelow, the Dingo Warrior, Ken Patera returns, Killer Khan, the One Man Gang, the names just keep going on. You can also listen to our show, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, chronicling each and every week of the Monday Night War history, Raw vs. Nitro. Not only do we look into the weekly episodes, Raw vs. Nitro, but we also do a deep dive into all of the behind-the-scenes goings-on as well. And you can listen to all of those shows and more over at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, located at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com. And everywhere your streaming needs are met, from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. And, of course, you can follow us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at WrestlingGrenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like us at Facebook.com slash WrestlingGrenade. All the latest things going on here in the world of WrestleCopia post it on our social media, but I'm also constantly adding new old-school wrestling videos and pictures as well. And speaking of videos, you can stop on over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash WrestlingGrenade. I'm always adding new footage to my YouTube channel as I continue to preserve my video collection by converting all of my VHS over to digital. Again, that's youtube.com slash wrestling grenade now is also a great time to check out our patreon account located over at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia that's patreon.com slash wrestlecopia multiple tiers to choose from but the five dollar all access tier is where it's at gets you all sorts of gifts for just five dollars 
including my insanely detailed show notes, and they are insanely detailed, guys, covering the Wrestling Memory Grenade Monday Warfare, and now show notes from the Regional Wrestling Podcast as well. You'll also receive early access to many of our episodes, including this one. This one dropped a week early. If you were a Patreon, you would have heard it last week, guys. Early access to many of the shows. Listen days sometimes as much as a week early. You'll also get revamped, enhanced versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade covering the 1989 and the NWA project. What do you mean by enhanced versions, Ray? Well, I'll tell you. Not only do you get enhanced sound quality, but also new conversations originally edited out of the initial broadcast due to time restraint, edited right back in. And it doesn't end there. Every month, I drop several digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. And of course, the Patreon-exclusive Watch Along series covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday Night's main events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. All of that, plus bonus extra goodies thrown in from time to time. All of that for the low, low price of just $5 a month. No subscription. Cancel any time. Give it a try, and I think you'll like the content we offer, and every penny of it goes right back in to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please, if you want to show your support, Help us pay the bills. Keep WrestleCopia, all of our podcasts, Regional Wrestling, The Memory Grenade, Monday Warfare, and more up and running for the months and the years to come. And with all of that out of the way, it's time for edition number one of what I hope to be a semi-regular return here of the Silken series. Clever name, I know. And you can listen to all of the past episodes of his podcast, Last Stop Penn Station, over at laststoppennstation.com, and you can find this man on Twitter at ROHCarry. And at this time, I'd like to bring on our guest this week. He is the former owner of Ring of Honor and the first ever Ring of Honor Hall of Fame Legacy Award recipient is none other than the man, the myth, the ROH legend, Mr. Kerry Silken. Kerry, welcome to the show. Hello, and thank you for having me here. Uh, Ray, I appreciate it. And uh, just I got to just say something. I, I, I approached Ray, uh, just to the listeners, because um, I, I was unaware of his podcasts. There's so many. I mean, I had a podcast. I have a podcast. It's there. Last Stop Penn Station. Some people know. Most don't. There's so many. But anyway, when I heard Ray's, however it came into my feed, I don't know. But uh, it was one where he had on, I was going to say John Arezzi, John McAdams. Right. <laughs> and they were uh, heavily discussing WWWF, uh, I believe, 76, 77 era. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I usually don't reach out, but I was very impressed. It was in my wheelhouse, and uh, I thought maybe forget about all the Ring of Honor stuff, forget about all the years. You know, there's not a lot of people left that, you know, can go back to the 60s where they witness things. I hope I'm around for a while to do it, but I'm here now, so let's do it. Yeah, I appreciate you so much. Carrie, you know, you say you reached out to me. I really couldn't believe it. I was excited to get somebody else with, with the experiences of that era. It's really hard to go. And there's a lot of people specifically on Facebook that talk about, I remember this. I was there for that, but they're they're not really elaborate on things. And I don't mean in detail. I just mean they say they were there. I can't prove they were there or not. 
and and it's just great to have somebody I know lived it. I I saw some of your, the pictures of some of the ads, the old posters and things that you have. A hell of a collector of, of some really great stuff. Uh, I'm just excited to have you on the show. Thank you. you I, uh, I'm not the only. I'm not the oldest. So it, it, this would be a whole nother podcast. But you can listen. <laughs> to, oh, by the way, my podcast is called Last Stop Penn Station. So if Sorry. you want to hear stories of my life, uh, they're not all pretty. You know, I was involved in the ticket scalping business. I had major substance abuse problems. I, I always do. I mean, I still do. I, I, in other words, if you're an addict, it's not like you're cured. So, uh, but yeah, so all these stories, and I did it with Ian Riccoboni, and obviously there was a ton of wrestling in there, the ROH stuff, the historical stuff, but um, two people who were around and very well-spoken, Bill Apter Mm -hmm. and George Napolitano. Yeah. Uh, George Napolitano, famous photographer, and then did wrestling magazines. Of course, we know Bill Apter did magazines. And yeah, of course, there's other people. But those were New York area guys. I know Bill was. I believe they were both at the 1971 title change when Bruno lost the belt after eight years. I'm not as old as those guys, but, you know, I've been watching wrestling since 1966. Okay, so you say you started watching wrestling in 66. Me and John McAdam, we covered, we we try to set the stage for 77 by discussing 76 briefly. You're going back an entire other decade. Tell me, what was the first memory you have or what really got you? And do you remember what it was that pulled you into wrestling or was it just the fact that it was wrestling? Well, at 10 years old, I was a sports fan. My dad brought me up. You know, we lived in North Jersey. Are you a baseball fan? I am. Well, unless you're brought up as a Yankee fan, they're very easy to hate, right? I'll I'll go along with that. (laughs) My dad, you know, it's like the Cowboys or whatever. My dad was a lifelong Yankee fan, so I was brought up as a Yankee fan. We're talking about, I remember running, dude, I remember running home from school in 1964. I was eight or nine, because they were all day games. And the Yankees were playing the Cardinals with those great Gibson and Tim McCarver. And, you know, the Yankees, it was, you know, Mantle had three home runs in that series. I mean, he he was shot, but he was still, you know, whatever. But the point is, I I wasn't even aware of wrestling until my cousin, Mike G., who uh, is, was, has been a big influence in my life, not only with the wrestling, but with music. Uh, he was like a big brother type, four or five years older than me, and he's still around and uh, doing well. But anyway, Mike turned me on to wrestling, and he told me, about, oh, you got to see this. It's on Saturday nights on Channel 5. And I don't know what it was. I don't know, Ray, but as soon as I saw it, I was just immediately sucked in. Immediately. It wasn't like, oh, what's this? I think I knew out of the gate that this wasn't on the up and up. 
because like my father would say, oh, you're watching that phony stuff. But I suspended disbelief as a little kid. So when I was turned on to this WWF program, because that's all they had. I mean, no matter where you lived, pre-cable TV, which is well over 10 to 15 years later, you just saw your local wrestling. So I saw the wrestling, and then um, there were newsstands in my town, just like every other town, and I discovered uh, the wrestling magazines. So I would beg my dad to buy one. My mother, my mother couldn't stand it. She she knew that this was a lowbrow. You know, she was, you know, and they, not that they, she was highfalutin. These were working class people, but she liked good jazz. She liked theater, uh, classical music. And uh, she was not a sports fan, but she knew that wrestling was the bottom of the barrel, you know, as far as, you know, comparing it to Broadway. Anyway, be that as it may, uh, I would gather wrestling magazines I found different candy stores and newsstands that had more of them. Back then, in 66, there was Wrestling Review, and there was Wrestling World, and there was The Ring Wrestling. Now, The Ring had been around as a boxing publication for many, many, many years. And what I liked about The Ring magazine some of them were monthly, some of them were bi-monthly. But anyway, the Ring magazine, in the back of the magazine, had these detailed correspondent, you know, ooh, hot action in the Dallas territory. And they would just give the results, talk about what we know now as angles. Right. So, and the other magazines would have results, and some of them had the clippings from the papers. So I was fascinated off the bat. I'd see these clippings and I would read about, ooh, the chic and the fireballs. And oh, Texas was like a, a bloody territory. That's where the tech, oh, that's where they invented the Texas death match. <laughs> and, you know, all of them, Florida. So I, I've, Fully was aware. I, I loved reading about these territories right away. Uh, so I, I've pinned it down to January of 1966 was the first time I saw it. And dig this. If you go on YouTube, mm -hmm. there's three or four shows of the old WWF in their entirety. And it's right from that era. How did that happen? And everything else is gone. It had something to do with Pedro Martinez, who was the Buffalo promoter. He happened to get his hands on those tapes from Vince Sr. As you know, they destroyed all the tapes. Right. Often. Often. It's a shame. But uh, those are on YouTube. And if you go back and look at this wrestling from Washington, D.C., with Ray Morgan, talk about slow. Talk about <laughs> all squash matches. Right. They didn't give the people anything. 
a, a little tidbit. But they, you know, it was all about getting you to go out and buy tickets. And once in a while, they would have a match. Uh, and I think you and John talked about it. You know, the tag team belts would change hands on TV, it seemed. Right, right. yeah. But to get to see Bruno wrestle, maybe once or twice a year he would be on. But he was there for the interviews. You know, so what I found out later, after doing more research, when they would tape wrestling in Washington, and then eventually Philly and Allentown, but in Washington, they would be, because if you watch these old tapes, the, the ring announcer, friendly Bob Freed, just <laughs> just like, I, what, what was the first year he went to wrestling? Who, me? Yes. Oh, God, probably 85, 86, something like that. Okay, did they announce the next month's card? I'm remembering that, yeah. Yeah, I think they did that, in, that maybe like, into the so, early 90s. So uh, at the Washington show, they would go, uh, you know, Vince McMahon brings the greatest wrestling next week, and they would run down this card of stars against bums, sometimes bums against bums, and then they go, He'd wave to the time, to the time, ding, ding, ding. But ladies and gentlemen, in the dark match, Bruno San Martino teams up with Big Bill Miller against Gorilla, Mo whatever it would be, right? Right, right. That was to get the people in the building. And uh, of course, he was, the stars were there for the interviews. The one they were promoting when I uh, started watching was Bruno San Martino against Baron Mikel Cicluna. That was the uh, opponent of the month. So that was my entree into wrestling, but a very strange... If you have any questions, please just interrupt me. No, I'm just fascinated listening to all of um, this, your memories. Well, I got to go to a live show, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But what I was going to say was a very strange thing happened. The wrestling was on Channel 5 at Saturday nights at 9. All of a sudden, it moved to Channel 9, which still exists also, WOR, and it was on Saturday afternoons at 12.30. And, all right, that's cool, because sometimes my mom would give me heat about staying up, whatever. And then a really messed up thing happened. Now, because I was, you know, uh, I would read the results. They would give, even the New York Times, let alone the, the New York Post, Daily News, Newark Star-Ledger, after a garden show, they would give a two or three little paragraph results of it. Okay. So, but what, what the strange thing would happen was sometime in 67, the wrestling was off TV. And... If you read some historical stuff, uh, guys like Tim Hornbecker uh, have it pinned down better than I'm, I'm recreating it here. All I knew is where the hell did the wrestling go? Because I was still seeing the ads in the paper. My dad was a bartender, so he would come home at night with the early edition of the of the papers. They had like, you know, uh, by midnight, they had the right. next day's. 
So I would see, oh, look, crazy Luke Graham is, is, is wrestling Bruno at the Garden. And I'd see the results the next day. But where the hell is it? Well, finally, <laughs> finally, I discovered and there was a dark period where it was nowhere for like six months. But eventually there was a brand new thing and it was called UHF TV. That's the right. Ultra, right. The ultra <laughs> high frequency. And they moved the wrestling to channel 47, which was a Spanish language channel. But, it, you know, the wrestling was in English. And the problem was, bro, to get to get the picture, <laughs> you had to like, you know, I'd, I'd be like hanging out the window with aluminum foil. It was difficult, but it got better as the months rolled out and uh, I was back watching WWWF. Yeah, me and John were uh, talking about that on those 77 shows. Some people will never know the struggle of messing with the old antennas, the TV antennas. Right. <laughs> right. It was crazy. But I, I, I desperately wanted to go to see live wrestling. And my dad, he was totally cool. And from reading the magazines, I discovered that there were these blue laws in New York State. And you had, oh, it even said it in the damn uh, ads in the paper. Something about it. Sometimes they would say children under 14, uh, it must be over 14 years old. Or I'd read about it in the magazines also. So I'm like, oh, I can't go to the garden? I mean, what the hell? And I couldn't because I was only 11. I don't know how strict they were, really. Right. But we didn't we didn't find out. But my uncle Henry, he he lived in New York City. Did you ever see that Woody Allen movie Broadway Danny Rose? Very long time ago, yeah. <laughs> All right. It's about a real second rate agent. And that was Henry. You know, <laughs> he, he never you know, he knew this one, he knew that one, but he never really had much success. But uh, he did know, he knew two people. Uh, and my father actually knew one of them, Willie Gilsenberg. Well, there's a familiar name. name. Oh, I know that name very well. We talked all about him, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gilsenberg, he had promoted boxing before he got into wrestling, but he loved the wrestling business. He saw money to be made there, too. And he jumped on board there, and he got in with uh, Vince McMahon when Vince moved from D.C. up to New York. Yes, and he was also promoting wrestling in the new jersey area right he, he had a partner named boy this is minutia he had a partner named <laughs> babe cullen point <laughs> is is that my parents being from newark and you know from uh a jew they're hardly religious but a jewish heritage right mm -hmm. a lot of the jews knew well gilsenberg was jewish so some you know they were like oh yeah you know so my uncle henry goes oh I'll, I'll I'll talk to Gilly. That's what he called him. Gilly, like, really? <laughs> you can talk to the president of the Dutch. <laughs> so Gilly told him, "Look, the kid could go to Sunnyside Gardens. That was in you know, Queens. There's your end. And, they, and the, they had matinee shows. 
which was like great because my like I said, my dad was a bartender or worked at nights. Anyway, the promoter's name was Manny Hecklin. And Henry got hold of him and through Gilsenberg's advice, uh, he hooked Henry up with four tickets. I remember they gave us a split four, nice. two and two. <laughs> but that's all right. They were in the second row. And it, it's good that we're doing this uh, We're doing this podcast today, Ray, because I, I learned things. I, I've been telling people for the last 50 years that I went on New Year's Day 1967. Well, when I was looking this up in my minor preparation for this, it was January 2nd, not New Year's Day. And it was it was it happened to be a, a Saturday afternoon. And there we were at Sunnyside Gardens. I was 11 years old. My dad went, my cousin Mike, the one who turned me on to this, mm -hmm. we brought him. And... Um, my dad's friend Frankie went. And uh, oh, by the way, before this happened, I'd be hearing during the wrestling on Channel 5 the various advertisements. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> on a Monday night, the air conditioned hall. Uh, you know, that was a big deal back then. You had to pump the, uh, pimp the uh, air conditioning in those buildings. Pimp the air conditioning, pimp whatever. And you know they'd be they'd be pushing you know oh Asbury Park, and I'm like oh that's not the right night my dad works well they, I I really had Mondays off and I hear them announce a card coming to the Jersey City Armory right. <laughs> now in 1965 there was a terrible time in the country with you know riots. Uh, and it, it, hard uh, in Detroit, Newark, New York, all over. And, uh, you know, it happened again in 68. But I'm asking my dad, oh, can we go, you know, can we go to Jersey? He's like, you, you're crazy. Right? And I said, <laughs> well, what about the Patterson armor? <laughs> that was even worse. Anyway, but Sunnyside Gardens was fine to go. Would you like to know what the card was? You read my mind. I was just about to say. Well, do you remember anything on that show? Are you looking at the ad? Well, I, I printed out the results. Okay. Um, and I do remember. I mean, the opening bout. Talk about a classic of classic opening bouts. Was Johnny Rods against Arnold Scullin. Johnny Rods was there forever. What an MVP. You know, and Scullin had been around since... <laughs> I think the late 40s, you know, he was at that time was Bruno's man, the golden boy, Arnold Scullin. And, and that was the opener. They gave Scullin the win. And then there was another classic, Angelo Savoldi. I don't know if you're familiar with that name, but the oh, Savoldi, yeah. the Savoldi family has been uh, a number of Joe Savoldi, Mario Savoldi, Angelo, three guys involved. Matter of fact, he passed away, but Angelo Savoldi was the oldest living wrestler a number of years ago at like 97. But Savoldi against Pete Sanchez, who had the distinction, he was a good worker, and the first time, not my favorite guy, Ric Flair, came to uh, the Garden, it was Flair against Pete Sanchez. And those were the two openers. 
And then they had like a semi-main, and it was Bull Ortega, who was, he, he didn't work good, but he was big. He looked the part against Miguel Perez. Miguel Perez was famous for teaming with Antonina Rocca. They were a huge team back in the 50s, early 60s. Massive, massive. I don't think people really understand because it was not just pre-WWF, but really early on in Capital as well. And there wasn't a whole lot of uh, footage. I mean, Antonino's got some footage out there, and, and actually their their tag team, there's footage out there. But I don't think people really understand. These guys were selling the garden out, too, as a tag team. Absolutely. And, and you're, you're spot on. And like, the, if we go back and look at the results, there was, let's just put it this way, there was many a Madison Square Garden card where um, the tag team match was the main event. And that was also... You know, you know about the famous riot in '58. Yeah, Dick the Bruiser, and he he wasn't allowed to come back after that. <laughs> never let him back. I, 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 and Jerry Graham, I think, against uh, Rock and somehow Carpentier was in it. I think it was Rock and Carpentier on the other side. But anyway, it almost shut down wrestling forever. But uh, I'm getting off track. Back to the card. So Bortega, and this is odd. He pinned Miguel Perez. Now, the clientele was predominantly Latino in New York, uh, just the way it was, and it was fine. There were, so you would, you, if you look at the results, if we look at the results for the Garden, particularly with a big crowd, these guys didn't get pinned. Well, uh, Bull Ortega pinned Miguel Perez uh, you'd figure they would do a DQ or something. They don't want right. any problems there. They certainly so, protected their talent back then as far as doing jobs. Not only that, they were worried about the Latin, worried about, you know, people being upset. Right. Of, of, I get you it. Know, right. You get it. So um, there were two more bouts. There was Spiros Arion. He pinned. I, I, I'll be shocked if you know this name. Tank Morgan, sure. Tank Morgan. Oh, yeah, I know the name. I, I've I've seen him. I, I don't know how good he was here in the 60s, but, man, it's pretty atrocious near the tail end of his career. You know what his claim to fame was? I've, I've heard this from Kevin Sullivan. I'm friends with Kevin Sullivan and Luke Williams. The guy was nuts. And uh, apparently, even though his looks would be far from hippie, he was involved with uh, LSD early on. Oh, okay. And if you were wrestling him, he would sometimes take advantage of guys and slide a little, you know, a little sliver of acid in their mouths. Wow. Okay. So that's wow. the shit, right? So, <laughs> different times, and, man. Different times. Right. <laughs> um, and the main event was Baron Mikel Cicluna and Crazy Luke Graham in a two out of three fall match against Armand Hussein, who was, he wrestled a lot of places. Yeah. He was like an, an African uh, type, and he was very good. And another guy who was around forever, who was really not a main eventer, Ricky Sexton. Hussein and uh, Sexton defeated in the best two out of three falls Two to one, full one, Secluna and Graham won. Full two, Hussein and Sexton win. 
Oh, and fall three, Hussein and Sexton won via disqualification. Well, you got to get that anyway, DQ in there. <laughs> they sent the people home happy as they're supposed to. Right, right. That was my first live card. Yeah, Armand Hussein, you, I just want to touch on him real quick. You know, he bounced around, like you said, quite a few different places. Kind of interesting to see him here in the, the New York territory. But Armand, he finished up doing managerial duties down there in Dallas. I think Crockett even brought him in for some reason there right as they were getting going. So he was just there for a brief stint in Crockett as well. But So it's so weird to see Armand Hussein, where he traveled. There's a great piece on him, I think, on Slam Wrestling. I, I, I read up when I was doing they research do on Armand. Work, they guys. do. They really do. And it's been quite a few years ago now that I, I read the story. But uh, when I was researching Armand, because I, I just take a liking to certain guys, and I'm like, where did this guy come from? What did he do? And in, in once upon a time, Armand Hussein was on that list, and I, and I did a lot of diving into his career. And, uh, yeah, it was just really good. If you guys want to go check that out at Slam Wrestling, though, really good job. If you're like, what what's the deal with this guy? Because he was kind of an enigma. He was there, but he wasn't a lot of places. So he was in, what, world class in, like, the 80s? Early yeah, 80s? 82-ish. Yeah, right before, you know, the Freebirds Von Eric thing took well, off. When we're done with this, now you got me curious. I'm going to look him up because we're talking almost a uh, – a 17-year gap between this show and his managerial stint in Dallas. Right. And he would yeah. still work from time to time. He did that manager role of working. I mean, he would come out and he would actually have a match. Wasn't much of a match by that point in his career, but it was a match. And what was really odd, when they added the Crockett shows, the I want to say it was after Dallas, uh, maybe 84-ish or something like that, when they added those to the WWE Network Peacock, he was wrestling a couple of weeks there, and I was like, he, he worked, he wrestled as a legitimate competitor after he did the manager's spot, and I can't even imagine how old he was at that point either. Now, he didn't last very long, maybe a couple of weeks, but it was just weird seeing him show up there. You know, these guys had friends, someone was his buddy, or maybe right. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. Maybe sure. he knew Fritz von Erich. Or, or someone close to him, and they're like, eh, let the guy come in, right? You know, give him a, yeah, I mean, it's not like they were paying him top dollar. Right, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, or maybe he, maybe, I don't know. I have to, I'll have to look it up. I, I think he was one of those guys that had big gaps in his career. Like, he must have had another profession. Yeah, he kind of disappears here and there. That was what made me really intrigued about, you know, going back and researching him. Absolutely. And, uh, I, um, I want to tell you about my second live card I went to. Yes, please do. And uh, which preceded when I was able to go to the garden finally. Dude, I'm driving with my I'm with my parents and I'm in the car in my local town of Cranford, New Jersey. And I don't know how the hell I saw it. But from the corner of my eye in I think it was like a dry cleaner kind of store. I saw a wrestling poster. I just saw the words wrestling. And I begged my father, must have been my father. My mother wouldn't have, my mother would have said, I nah, nah. I said, <laughs> can we go look at that poster? Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? Wrestling WWF was coming to Cranford High School wow. on November 27th. I'm like, oh my God. God, and there's a lot of strange things. The building was packed, 
star and, I, and and there's a reason it was a four match card but they gave the people a good show but one of the things i remember most ray is when they set the ring up and the chairs yeah they put the chairs right next to the ring right up on the ring wow we've i've seen it before <laughs> which is not you know you'd figure the ring crew that handled this show it's not their first show you don't do that but maybe the ring crew was the the local high school janitor well someone was driving the truck so you got the, yeah it i got you very odd it was very <laughs> odd or what you would think one of the wrestlers would have said yo get those chairs back you, you would get, think you would what, think somebody what happened though was they sold too many tickets oh um, had to squeeze and, in the chairs Yes, yes. And uh, we I remember had, having to go to uh, Mickey's Barbershop <laughs> to it purchase in advance. And I think I got some uh, third or fourth row. And when I went to the show, I see fucking Mickey. Sorry. I, <laughs> Fine. Is, is this PG? Is this G? This is whatever it is. Oh, it's okay. I see fucking Mickey the barber, that asshole, and he's front <laughs> row center. Of course he is. He had the tickets. But anyway, so that show. <laughs> Here's the card. Oh, by the way, I was going to ask you, Rook. I didn't mean to cut you off. What year is this you're, you're in now? 1970. 1970. Okay. So it was a few years before you went back to, to go see a live Correct. event. Correct. Okay. And we could, we could talk about the in-between time, but. Sure. As long as I got this here, the Absolutely. opening bout was Arnold Skolin. You know, every WWF <laughs> house show had a bag man or, or all these territories, someone who was responsible for the money. Right. So WWF in the olden days, it would either be Skolin, Tony Altamore, uh, who was Lou Albano's former partner. Right. And the Sicilians. Um, right. And, uh, couple of others but Skolin was usually the bag man so um yeah the uh so Skolin Skol the bag man so so yeah we're talking about John L Sullivan do you know who that uh that's uh luscious Johnny V correct correct who you know uh he was he was brought in yeah it might have been a baby face match because something happened when uh, he teamed, he changed his name to Jimmy Valiant to John Valiant when, when the Valiant brothers became hot. This was don't forget, this is November of seventy. Right. So they, eventually, he switched over to uh, Luscious Johnny Valiant, but that was the opening bout. The second match, I don't know what it is. But or how you feel? I've never been a fan of ladies wrestling. Not not that era of ladies wrestling. Not at all. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I think I think I was first turned on to ladies wrestling when I discovered they were wrestling in Japan, and those you know the tape trading started, and I saw okay. some of those matches, and I was like, holy shit! Why do these women do this? And then this is what we get here in the states. Although the jumping bomb angels did. You know, they were, they were pretty impressive for what they did when they came in in 87, 88 in the WWF. But to answer your question, I apologize for rambling on there. Uh, no. no I, like the early stuff, no. With Moolah, Leilani Kai, and no offense to Leilani Kai. I've seen her do some good things with the Bomb Angels and things like that. But all them, them ladies from that era and, and the earlier eras, 
just doesn't do a whole lot for me. I I agree completely. Well, this one, at least they gave a tag team match. And it, it, two of the names were solid, solid workers. Tony Rose and Donna Christianello against a woman named Helen O'Connell and Mary Collins. And it's like, all right, two out of three fall ladies tag match. All right. But they had two excellent main events. Excellent. One of them, boy, here's a name for you. Okay. Crusher Gurdue. Oh, yeah. Big burly dude. Trained yep. uh, Psycho Sam Cody. I was just watching Cody wrestle on a couple of 87 shows I was doing for my other podcast. So, yeah. Okay. Crusher Verdue. He gets, gets a bad rap for being a worker. He's. Uh, hey, I was just going to say that. <laughs> very very he- immobile looking guy from what I've seen. Although he got to work Bruno. I mean, a lot of people got to work Bruno, though. He was the first guy to sell. Him and Bruno was was the first show at the Garden. Right. But I thought he was impressive. I, I did. Maybe it's because I was, you know, a, a young kid. But he wrestled Victor Rivera. And Victor Rivera was a star. I don't remember, but it says Crusher Verdue defeated him. It could probably was a DQ or something, but whatever. Let me and ask it, you a question. I don't mean to cut you off, Kerry, but I'm just these things pop in my head, and I, I you just I think it would be a good question to ask you. So you lived this era, so I'm gonna. That's why I'm gonna bring this question to you. Pedro Morales winds up winning the WWF title after Bruno doesn't want it anymore, yeah. and a lot of people say that could have been Victor Rivera. Do you think Victor Rivera could have carried that? Could he, could he have handled that spot? I don't think so. Okay, I don't think so. And and you know, I went to so many of Morales' title matches. And although the fans were behind him and he had fire, he was just, I mean, he was just a a left-hand punch guy. But he had charisma. Now, Victor Rivera, maybe if they would have positioned him right, I don't know how much English he spoke but uh, I've yeah, heard that, that talk, spoken about many times. But but uh, on this particular night, Verdue beat Rivera, and which leads to the main event. Check this out. I couldn't believe they had this main event at my little high school. And it was not Bruno. It was Gorilla Monsoon against Ivan Cole. Wow. Right. And just seeing these giant what i I perceived as these giant men it it, it was great it was great especially with that situation because they they had to be careful not to fall on the fans i mean if they went if they they fought right they kill you they crush you well you got to think about those uh sea town type rings too wherever they were bringing the ring from i mean that you know that that if that ring collapses with that beef in there gorilla oh. was well over 400 and uh people that only know ivan koloff from his runs with crockett like in the 80s when he really trimmed down back then koloff was like 300 pounds of beef yes he was and uh it says koloff defeated monsoon i just can't see it being a clean win and i yeah, wish that- i could remember but um that was that was my second live card. You know, in between uh, 67 and November of 70, I would buy every wrestling magazine that I was financially allowed to buy with my allowance. 
or grabbing a quarter or two out of my father's jeans. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like I said, he was a bartender. So at night when he would come home, he, he did well for himself. He worked in a nice place and people liked him. And uh, he didn't leave, he wasn't stupid. He wasn't leaving no bills around, but he would have a lot of quarters. And uh, I took my share. Um, <laughs> sorry, Dad. But anyway, in between that Sunnyside Garden and the Cranford High School, I was paying super close attention to uh, the magazines. I studied this like I studied baseball cards. And uh, I, you know, I knew about these territories. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this off air a little bit, but wrestling had locked in to I'm I'm looking at an ad here from October the hell is it, 69. Well, it was on channel 47 Saturday at eight o'clock. Oh, it does say in the ad, children under 14 not admitted. Um, it was on channel 47. People got used to it, and somewhere along the way, in I think maybe 1970 or at the latest 71, I looked in the newspaper, uh-huh. and at 11 p.m. on Channel 47 was Lucha Libre. I'm like, it's wrestling. Oh shit! <laughs> well, that was past my bedtime, but I uh, I, I had a TV in my and uh, the UHF reception was better at that point. And oh my God, it was it was championship wrestling from Florida. Okay, with Gordon Sully. Right, we did talk and, about uh, this off air a little bit. Right. So now I'm getting to see. I'd read about it, but I'm seeing this action-packed hour. The opposite of what WWF was doing. Right. <laughs> yes, they had the interviews. Yes, there were a few squash matches, but they showed action. And shortly after that, like I'm talking about within a month or two, once again, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. on the other Latin channel, Channel 41, Lucha Libre, and it was for two hours. I'm like, what could this be? Well, <laughs> it's it, the bells, right? Yes, it was. You know, the Spanish International Network. They didn't just play the New York, New Jersey market. It was on in Miami. It was on in Chicago. It was on in some other oddball cities around. The, you know, it, it, it was well uh, distributed. So now I was able to see L.A. refs. Now, this was right when the John Tolis, Freddie Blassie thing was going on. Right. Yeah, man. It's, what a time to be alive and be in your area. And you pick up all these different things. Florida, I mean, very different from New York, but then L.A. And what an angle. Right. And they, too, tended to have a lot of squash matches, but I didn't care. So now I'm able to see three territories and the differences in the way they worked it was it, it was it was just it was wonderful yeah you would think wrestling would be wrestling but then you're 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 watching this and you're like wait a minute this is completely different a lot more actual wrestling down there in florida versus the kick and punch stuff up in new york la's got this wild angle going on that you probably you wouldn't see it's not as creative as some of the things they do in the wwf territory so 
the WWF ter- territory, they had certain angles that they would just rerun over and over and over. And, and don't get me wrong, they worked. They kept selling the garden out. Bruno kept having all these guys turn on him. You know what I mean? Like from Spiros Arion and, and on down the line, Jimmy Valiant turning on Strongbow. We would see that quite mm-hmm. often. It was like an insta feud. Uh, that was like the go-to for, for Vince Sr. And, and there was a few other things in between as well. But yeah, just the stuff like that, that went on over there on the West Coast and things. Just very different. And uh, as far as the Florida, you know, in Florida, as we've all come to learn, uh, they had a wrestle six or seven nights a week in the same city. Right. I, I think uh, Tampa, Miami, West Palm, and maybe they went to Jacksonville every other week, but there were like four cities where they had to come back. You know, like you've heard stories about Nashville, uh, Memphis, rather, every Monday night, you know, right. they had to come back. So, at the Garden, they had the luxury of, you know, once a month. You understand what I'm saying. So it, right. It, well, it, the territories were different. New York had the luxury, if you want to call it that, of running more cities, more states, more towns, so they didn't have to be there every week. Whereas, like you're saying, with Florida, it was cyclical every week, the same towns, just like Memphis. Right. So you had to come up with a lot of stuff. What you and John were talking about, as well as this era, there was hardly ever an angle, ever. You know, someone would attack Bruno, and once in a blue moon, there was a turn. But, as you said, it worked. Right. It still it, worked. It, they, they sold tickets. They made money. They, right. They sold tickets. It made money. So here I am now watching three territories, loving it. And uh, it's around to my 14th birthday. And guess what? On the date, November 15th of my, of my 14th birthday, there's a show at the Garden. And it was a Monday night when my dad was off. And Uncle Henry got us the tickets. They were, he went, he, 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 I should have had him call in a favor because we, we had, uh, Shitty seats that were lower level, but they were, you know, on the on the long end. Right. Like if you were at a hockey game behind the goal, terrible. But we were at the Garden. And the thing that was really exciting for me was my favorite heel, who I had seen as a baby face uh, weeks before, but now coming to work as a heel, Freddie Blassie. He was 52, and Blassie and Morales. And you know that thing where they put the, the over the years, they've before your time, but they would put the X on the TV. Like oh, yeah. It was too violent. Yeah, blurred out. Okay. Kind of, with, the, with the big X. Well, yeah. I don't know if they did that with Blassie, because I remember three weeks in a row, Blassie had guys bleeding. And they never had blood on TV in WWF ever. One of them was Mike Pappas, who just passed, passed away. Passed away, recently. right? Right, just the other day. One of them was a guy named Tomas Marin. I forget the third. And by the way, that show I was getting on Channel Forty Seven. There was a second show, which eventually in the seventies there was a championship wrestling which is not on the damn Peacock, 
<laughs> and there's all-star wrestling, you know, with Joe McHugh, the ring announcer. Oh, yeah. That's on the Peacock. So, anyway, my father said, all right, all right, I'll take you, I'll take you. So we go to the garden, and would you like to hear the card? We'd love to hear the card. When would this have been? For, right. This has been for what, November of 71? November 15th, 1971. All right. Here we go. Um, oh, by the way, when I went in, they didn't, well, I don't have ID, you know? Well, I was like, going to say, how do you ID a kid, you know? Yeah. They, it's they like, it's the honor system, man. Right. <laughs> so thinking back on it and then going to the garden a lot over the next many years, they there weren't little kids there. You know, it, it was an adult crowd. Anyway, right. back to the card. Opening bout. Ready for this great opener? Absolutely. The, the, the Black Demon against Chuck Richards. Popeye Chuck Richards, grandfather of Chris Candido. You know your stuff, my man. That's right. And Black Demon at the time was played by Tony Nero. There's oh, okay. been Black Demons, Red Demons. There's lots of demons. Right. But Tony Nero was the black demon that was the opening bout with the demon beating poor chuck richards in eight minutes and 27 seconds then they had a scientific match and these guys were both really good manuel soto who was latin and he was a step below morale but he was very good against Rene goulet so they give people some scientific wrestling, and the fans would applaud. Well, you got to have your draw at MSG. <laughs> right. And the next match. Oh, and my. And by the way, Rene Goulet held the tag team titles with Carl Gotch. Right. I mean, I got to see Gotch. And I yeah, knew I'm looking at that right now. You know, I, I forget. Sometimes you forget if you, especially if you didn't live it. Sometimes you just forget Carl Gotch was was in the W. It's hard. It's weird to say that, even though I know he was tag team champion there. It's just weird trying to picture Carl Gotch there since I didn't really live it. Right, and and I didn't really, even though I was uh, very studied up on the wrestling magazines. This is five years of. I knew he was a great wrestler. I did not know he was a badass. And a, uh, <laughs> a shooter and a hooker and all that. Right. Uh, but I knew he was, you know. So Carl Gotch against Mike Monroe, who was just a big guy. Uh, and then, then I don't know if this is the order, but then Jimmy Valiant and beautiful Bobby. That's Bobby Harmon? Yes. Very good. Very good. So that's pre-Valiant Brothers, right? Right. Against Jimmy Valiant's still a baby face here. He hasn't turned heel yet. Right. And they were against the Rugged Russians. Now, I should have done my homework. The Rugged Russians, I believe, were a team of uh, Juan Caruso and uh, someone else. Juan Sebastian and I believe the other one was Pedro Godoy. I think you're right. So the Russians won, actually. Uh, no, wait a minute. Yeah, it's just as they beat him. Well, then that led to the main events. Um, now, they never would have title matches at the end. 
there was a if there was a a world title match, they put it in the middle of the card because then they would announce the next month's card. Right. And all the tickets were on sale right away. Now, see, next I've heard conflicting stories on that, and I agree with you. I mean, that's the way I always took it. They're just shilling the next show. If Bruno has a rematch scheduled because of what just happened, you want that time to go to intermission and say. Bruno's coming back for revenge next month. Let's right. go sell. Let's go sell a million tickets. But I've also, you know, I've heard superstar Billy Graham, and you know, you could take that for what it's worth. He claims that the uh, positioning of the main event, and I wasn't at these shows, so I can't verify this, but he claims that it wasn't changed until here in Pedro's run when he works Blackjack Mulligan. At the end of the show, people were so hot they uh, they knifed Mulligan, which I know he did get stabbed in in that situation. But he claims that they changed it so that they could get get the guys out of there. Uh, the heat out of the ring before the end of the show. So I, you know, I mean, it seems that, logical, that, but I don't know when it actually changed. Something to do with it, and I'll tell you absolute fact: they did not start selling tickets for the next next morning. Okay, I was there because I would have learned that, and because my cousin Mike would drive in. And uh, get us tickets for the next show. But anyway, back to these main events. Monsoon beat Stan Stasiak. Monsoon, you know, is a baby face at this point. I'm trying to pinpoint when Mon- how and when Monsoon turned baby face. I'm it's trying to remember who was involved in the storyline because I remember he gets attacked by other heels. And then Bruno comes out, of all people, Monsoon's former foe. Bruno's the one that comes out and like makes the save, if I remember correctly. So it was like a big deal. Monsoon know. turned babyface, and I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think it might have been Crazy Luke Graham. That sounds right. I think it happened during that period of time that I was talking about when there was no TV in my area. Possibly, I'm not sure. But anyway, old Chief J Strongbow and Victor Rivera beat Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham. Did they have the belts? They must have. Tyler and Graham, but it's it was not, the disqualification. Right, because they'll drop them in December the following month to Gotch and Goulet. And then, uh, all at once again, it was in the middle of the show, the Morales Blasting match. Well, people don't understand that at the time, except for the fabulous ring lighting coming down like lights from the gods right right (laughs) there was there was no music they didn't even have the mind to have a spotlight in the rafters to you know follow the guy when he comes out of the you know through the curtain they didn't even do that but the rumbling and the roar of these crowds and even more so in the Bruno matches, but oh, yeah. this, I mean, they hated Blassie, and they loved Morales. It had to be, without any embellishment, 80% Latino crowd, which was fine. Anyway, when Blassie comes out, I stand up and start clapping. <laughs> and my father, he gr- literally grabs me you know, uh, by my my ass, by my jeans, and he just says, pulls me back down the chair and goes, what do you want to do, get us killed here? <laughs> <laughs> he was right. <laughs> but, you know, I knew better, and uh, 
Yeah, there wasn't a lot of heel fans. If they were, you didn't see them that often. I eventually found a few. But uh, the bout wasn't great. They stopped it on blood. Blassie bit him. It was eight minutes. But it was just wonderful to get to go to Madison Square Garden. Finally got in there, yeah. You know, which which leads, you know, if, if you would like, I don't want to foist myself upon you, but we could do some more of these and and try to cover some of these. Because I started going live and in person, thanks to my cousin, because he got his license, pretty much every show from the middle of 72 on, including the horrible Bruno San Martino, Pedro Morales match at Shea Stadium. I've I've only seen the pictures, you know, you hear the stories of how it wasn't the it sounded good on paper, maybe these two awesome superheroes going at it, but it just never really meshed. It was a rainy, miserable night, and <laughs> they had the ring by second you you were so far away from the ring. And as it turned out, they drew less than a full house at the garden. In other words, they could I think they said twenty thousand. It probably was 12,000. They could have held, you know, if the weather would have been good and there was a little more promotion, but it didn't draw. The combination, it didn't draw. And boy, did it under-deliver. Yeah, well, I'm sure the uh, rain didn't really help things. I mean, that, that'll put a damper in anything. But you, right. can't really, well, you can't really plan for the weather. No, you can't plan for the weather. But as far as the, you know, to put Morales with Bruno for 75 minutes. Yeah, that's quite a bit of time. That's a chore. That's a chore for for those guys. I mean, they're not even, I'm not saying they couldn't. Obviously, they did. But neither one of those guys is is typically working a 60-minute Broadway very often, especially Bruno. He didn't do that many 60-minute Broadways. Right. Occasionally. But, and Morales, he didn't have enough in his arsenal to, to, there was a lot of rest holds. But you know what? The crowd was respectful. Nobody, you know, back then, no one would say boring, boring, right? Yeah, because people loved their favorites and weren't necessarily paying attention to the moves that were used in the ring. Before we wrap this up, do you have any questions for me? Oh, my gosh. I mean, there's a million questions I can ask you, but I mean, I'd love, love to save them because I, I've been jotting some down on paper while you're telling me these things. Because I'd like to revisit some of these things and, and pick your brain a little more. And now that you're heading into 72 here where you start actually attending the shows, there's a lot of questions that will be coming up for you. If, if you if you ever have the time, we would love to have you back on here. I, yes, I would. I would love to do this. You're a good guy and you know your stuff. And I, it's hard to find people that want to talk about this or give a damn about it. Well, that's literally what, you know, for years, long before podcasting existed, all I ever wanted to do was figure out a way to preserve wrestling history. This goes back to when I, when I was a kid, pre-internet. What, what can I do? I jotted it all down in notebooks. Every name that I would see in a magazine, I would write it down. And then I would try to figure out where he was, what he did. And it, and it just kind of snowballed from there. And then when the, you know, when I was old enough to have a computer, I started looking things up, AOL days, mid-90s or whatever, and mm-hmm. it just I just kept going from there. But it started with the magazines, kind of like you, watched it on TV. Oh, there's magazines. And by the time you know I was old enough, WWF was already putting out magazines. And yeah, I was a kid, so naturally the big colored full pictures you know, caught my eye. But 
it wasn't very long, just a matter of a few months, before I realized there's other wrestling magazines. There's a whole bunch of other talent and territories, promotions. Now, I was already hip to Crockett and ESPN with Dallas and things, but it, well, did it you really applies. Did you have cable TV? Didn't get cable until, I want to say, March of 87. Okay. But see, Georgia, the the Cleveland territory had been dead for years. I mean, basically, after Johnny Powers left, it was essentially right. dead. So she came in and he ran shows here by that point. But then, you know, he killed his territory. And it was a lot of the same guys that worked for the NWF that worked for Sheik as well. So they were still familiar talents. But again, before my time, that goes out of business. And then Cleveland's dormant for several years because... Vince, it doesn't really go any further than Steubenville, Ohio, which is like right by Pennsylvania. And that's only because they, they work Pittsburgh. And so there was really no wrestling here. Luckily for me, I wasn't born in the late 70s uh, until the end of the 70s. So, yeah, so it was just like, boom, Georgia Championship Wrestling comes up here, though. Only starts running Ohio and Michigan. Wisely, nobody was running it. So my first you know recollections is an old channel. It turned into the Home Shopping Network in the mid 80s, but it was... um. Georgia Championship Wrestling. I remember some of the guys, Tommy Rich, obviously, and things like that. And then Vince, boom, he jumped up on TV as well at the same time. So those are my first memories of TV. But it was just a constant. I, I don't know what the drive was in me. It wasn't just watching it. I needed to know everything about everyone and the history of this thing called professional wrestling. Right. And, you know, now, obviously, with all this information and these these good websites where you could look stuff up. It's not a thousand percent accurate like that cage match. It's very good though. Right. Not, not good. And especially in the WWF, talk about revisionist history. Oh yeah. Which, which <laughs> continued on by boycotting Bruno. Yeah. Until, for many, many years. You know, until, uh, allegedly Triple H convinced him to, to go in the Hall of Fame. The point is, is that accurate record keeping was not common and very difficult. Uh, so, right. yeah, I, I find it fascinating. Have you ever heard the podcast Charting the Territory? Oh, yeah, with Al Getz. Love it. I mean, these guys, he's ridiculous. I envy him. I envy him because I wish I could be doing that, but I just have so much crap going on around here on top of my podcast that I don't know how Al does it. He goes to every baseball stadium. Uh, that that blows my mind. And every public life. <laughs> God bless him. But yeah, he, he does a good job. Um let's look, let's be honest. There's a small audience for this his this kind of history. You know what? Even if it's a couple hundred people, who gives a damn? It's good. It's good because, as Dutch Mantel would say to me, "Hey, Carrie, you know what's going to happen if these stories ain't told? They're going to die when we do." Yeah, that's, and that's true. true. And it's so you weird know, so, because I'm not from that era, but that's how I think too. Like, man, I, you, we missed out on so many because so many people have already passed that it's lost in time forever. And, and and I I hate I hate that that's even you know a thing. And going through this debate, George Napolitano, did you know that Antonina Rocca started a rival in New York City after Bruno beat Buddy Rogers? I have heard about it. I, I haven't done any research on it as far as who he used or what well, he did. No, but it's, yeah, for like a year, he, he got TV and. 
he had a relationship with Jim Crockett Sr. So if you look up some of these shows, I don't know what name. I have a couple posters, but I don't know if they had an official name. Anyway, it was a combination of the Carolinas' 60s talent along with whatever, to use the word, scabs. Right. Or who, someone who was out of favor with WWF. Because it, 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 it lasted like a year or two. There's so few people to go back to reference it anymore. George remembers it. My cousin remembers it a little, but I'd love to know the starting date, the list of matches, ba 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 ba. Yeah, so it, it's good that we, it's good that guys like you and me, you know, can, can, uh, able to dispense some of this. In, I mean, but to talk about the atmosphere, to talk about the, the vibe and, you know, just, what these crowds and buildings were like. And uh, I find that really interesting. Oh, and as do I, obviously, just one of many of the aspects. And I love that you brought up that outlaw promotion, if you will, of Rockas, because that, that could be a great topic for a future show of mine. So I'm going to do start doing some research on that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to find anyone. Anyway, um, I had a pleasure doing this with you. I hope I was not boring and uh, unengaging. No, I, I had a blast, and I'm sure the, the listeners are going to really love the stories and you going back in time and reliving some of your memories. Now, you told me, I don't know that I can do like John McAdam. I don't know if I can, uh, I don't know if I, I have that total recall of memory like him, but you, you're very vivid with your stories, and I love it. Thank you. I, I could, you know, a, a guy like John has incredible expertise and he remembers these things from you know his beginnings and i do too but not to that kind of detail i've got right. you know off the top of his head he could say well the tag team champion da, 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 da. Right. um but i'll give you what i can that's all i could say carrie we really appreciate you being here and we really hope to have you back on very soon no problem, my man, and uh, thank you very much. And all right, guys, stick to social media. Stick to our Twitter account at Wrestling Grenade. Again, that's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade or Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. See what's coming up next here on Regional Wrestling. I've got more than a half a dozen new guests lined up to join the show over the next several weeks here. We're going to jump all over the place. It's going to be a fun time. want to thank our guest co-host this week, Carrie Silken, for joining the show adding a lot of insight back to the late 60s, early 70s in the WWF territory. Things were a-changing, and Kerry was just about to start his voyage to Madison Square Garden just about every show. So he's got a lot of stories to tell heading through the Pedro Morales era, the second Bruno San Martino era, the era of superstar Billy Graham, and of course the Bob Backlund era. Tons more to come from Kerry Silken here, as the time permits. Stay tuned, guys. Another episode of Regional Wrestling right around the corner. So much to discuss, so many years, so many territories. The ride is just getting started. So once again, Carrie, I want to thank you so much for adding your memories to the show, helping us preserve more wrestling history. That's the goal of this podcast. And once again, this has been Ray Russell with the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. <laughs> <laughs>